You're listening to the Arise Church Podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening. One evening... Jesus and his disciples sat out on the Sea of Galilee to get to the other side on a boat. And Jesus fell asleep. If you know anything about that story, you know that what would eventually happen is that a great storm came. And as that great storm came, the, great, the waves arose, the wind blew fiercely. And the Bible tells us that the disciples were utterly, utterly fearful at that time. The disciples were terrified and they yelled out, Jesus, wake up. Don't you care that we're about to die? They were terrified. They said, we are perishing, teacher. And so Jesus woke up. And what we read is that he rebuked the wind and to the sea he said, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and it was a great calm. And then Jesus said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now the disciples feared Jesus, it says, which means they revered him and they were in awe of him. And they said, who then is this that the wind and the waves even obey him? And from that time forward, their whole lives were changed because they had encountered God in who he is, even in the flesh. Peace, be still. Those were the words that Christ said to the waves. And the waves were anxious. You had a sea that was wavering and there was all this turmoil in the middle of a storm. And as he said, peace, be still, this ferocious and this, this anxious sea became a Pacific. You know, the word Pacific actually means peaceful. We think about the Pacific Ocean, we think of it as calm, we think of it as tranquil, and we think of it as mild. In a sentence, a very short sentence, what it means is not warlike. That's what the Pacific means, and at the words of Christ, the Sea of Galilee became that in the middle of a storm because he is God and he's in control of all things. Have you ever considered that God is control, in control of everything, including the storms in your life? including the times of difficulty that we face. Psalm 46 is where we'll be today. And this is a psalm that sings of that reality. And it sings of that reality very loudly. The heading actually tells us that it is a song according to the Alamoth. And the Alamoth should be sang by female voices in the soprano tone and high note with much excitement. It's as if the writers of the Psalms were saying, where the ladies at, right? They invented that kind of hip hop phrase. Let the ladies get some. They bring the ladies to the front because they want them to sing this with high pitch exclamation about the goodness and the glory and the faithfulness of God. There's a lot that we could cover in Psalm chapter 46, but the Lord has really pressed on my heart this week, just one verse that I hope will make it all make sense to us. If we can just focus on verse number 10, I'm going to read it to you. We'll pray and then we'll dive in a little bit. Psalm 46 and verse 10 says this. 
Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Father, just prayed and need to pray again, just asking you to use your word for your glory in the way in which only you know how to. I pray that this time that we spend here, these brief moments in this psalm, would glorify you and that all of us would be changed further and transformed more into believing you and trusting you, even in the midst of storms, even in the midst of difficulty, and that we would have that peace that surpasses all understanding because we can look to who you are. Father, use the sermon, use the meditation, use your word and uh, our reflection on it to make us more like Christ and to make us shine bright in the midst of darkness. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, when you look at Psalm 46 and you come to verse number 10, the, the sons of Korah had written this psalm. They wrote it to the people of Israel. And the, the sons of Korah, if you just know a very little bit about who Korah is, just know that he actually turned and rebelled against Moses' instruction. He rebelled against the Lord. He decided to do his own thing. And God said to Moses, go tell everyone to turn away from that man and everybody who follows him because I am going to show myself to be a good God and to be faithful and to show that his wickedness and rebellion is not um, going to be overlooked. And so as everybody fled and moved away from Korah and the other tribes that were with him, uh, he came and stood out in front of his tent. This is all from Numbers, about chapters 26. You'll read this. In Numbers, you'll see that Korah came and stood in front of his tent and the earth opened up and swallowed him and everyone who was with him alive. And it was in that moment that the whole people uh, of, of Israel, all terror uh, struck them. And they, they all believed that God was genuinely who he had said he was and that their rebellion was something that they didn't want. So it struck fear into everyone. But then the Bible says something interesting. But the sons of Korah did not die. And so now for us to come to Psalm chapter 46 and see a heading to the choir master of the sons of Korah, we realize that this is written to people who are maybe even at that time in the middle of a siege that has come against Jerusalem, but not even just then, even for their entire lives, they've known what it looks like when there is great calamity that comes about that strikes fear into you to know who God is. And so in Psalm 46, I'm, 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 I was uh, this week, had my perspective changed a little bit on how to come before this. Even before we get to that, let me just say this. We embarked on this because we wanted to take some time to understand. In our first three Psalms, you've seen that God has something in his scripture that we don't, we don't typically read. This time is three times over in the Psalm at verse three and at verse seven and again at verse 11, it's this word Selah. Selah really is a word that you're not meant to read. That's why it's off into the margins in your Bibles. And the reality is, is that it's meant to give us a great pause. Selah is a kind of a, a, a musical 
um, direction or instruction that means that you need to pause and let that sink in. Think about that. The, the last point that has been made needs to be exclaimed and you need to sit with it for a while. And so even as we have in the last couple weeks, as I've read through those Psalms, we didn't mention it much, but you may have seen there's a little bit of a pregnant pause after I come to something. It's like you say, though the mountains tremble at its swelling and the waters foam, we will not fear. And you sit with that for a moment. Well, the sons of Korah wrote a, 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 a psalm here, and they really had the same kind of mind uh, when it came to various attributes of God and various aspects of what it means to be his people. And I, I believe that this is very applicable to where we find ourselves in these days. And here's the reason why. Because our whole, the whole world is in unrest. The first three Psalms are meant to help us to find unrest or find rest in times of unrest. The, the Selah, the pause is helping us to find a point to say, I'm going to sit with this and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to find where God is and what he's up to in the midst of all these things. And it doesn't matter what's going on around me. And we all need that. And so the psalmist, he actually starts out and he says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. I want you to remember that our, our focus is be still and know that I am God, that I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. When this song starts out, it tells us about that God, the God who speaks firsthand in verse number 10, but in the, the, the first few verses is spoken about by the psalmists. God is our refuge, they said. A refuge is a place of shelter, a place of covering. You don't need refuge unless, of course, there is something that is happening. You don't need covering. You don't need anything to, to stand over you. or You don't need a hiding place unless, of course, you're hiding from something, whether that be the elements or some other enemies. You need a refuge when nature or the nations are coming against you. And that's what is happening in this psalm. They said that God is our refuge. I think about where we are today and the fact that we all really genuinely need to find a place of refuge in God and who he is. This week I've thought through and I, and, I, and, I, and I felt really just the, the, the peace and the protection that comes by being in the safety of God and his arms, being with him. She doesn't know it, but I, I was intrigued by the fact that Jamie was walking through the house and she, for whatever reason, read out Psalm 91. She said Psalm 91 out loud and I had ever never heard that. It said uh, that he would deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. And as she said that, thought of us, the church, the people of God, likened to a bird being, being delivered from the fowler, the one who would hunt after the birds, the one who would go after and try and hunt down the birds. And, and, and we're, we're told that God protects us and delivers us from that enemy and protects us and, and keeps us under his wings. That's where you find refuge. 
Think about the chicks or the, uh, the, the birds in a nest that are just born, very small birds that have their, their mother's wings, their father's wings that stretch over them and protects them, that scoops them in. This is who God is. God is our refuge. Well, leaving that analogy and leaving Psalm 91, if we come back to Psalm 46, what we can see is that there's, there's, there's things that are happening in the world that they are explaining. They said, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and though the mountains tremble at its swelling. This is thinking about nature, just the, the, the biggest calamity that you could ever imagine. The mountains being moved or tossed or thrown into the sea. I mean, can you imagine? It's just one thing to think about the mountains falling, but it's another thing to think about something so catastrophic, something so groundbreaking and earth-shaking that the mountains would be tossed into the waters, causing a tsunami and, 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 and everything else that you can imagine. Even though that would happen, they are clinging to. And they're calling us to sing about and cling to the fact that God is our refuge. He's our protector. How have you been dealing with that in your shelter at home, your work from home, your new rhythms, new pace of life? How has God been calling you? How have you been hearing his voice? How have you been seeing even him as a place of refuge to call you to a place to rest in him? even though everything around you is breaking down and it's all shaking down. I think about the pestilence, I think about the plagues, I think about times in which uh, the church has gone through these things worldwide, not just in our nation, not just this year, but in you, you know years past, you can always read about what the church was uh, enduring during this time and the kind of plague that came against people and the kinds of uh, disease that was spreading throughout the world and how the church responded. It's one of those things where it's so interesting that you look back on it and you read about it in history books or you read about it in a biography and you just say, man, I, man, I, I would have been right there with them. I would have been, I'd have been doing just that same thing. I mean, you just, you read about Spurgeon in the time of cholera and it's just like, I want to be exactly who that man is. And that's what I would have done. But then when we look and we, we, we we're honest with ourselves, We've seen COVID-19 shut things down. We've seen the threat of sickness and death. I just talked to a pastor here in Ventura who we're going to meet this afternoon, actually. And he said, I, I can't, I have to be quarantined because I was actually in contact with someone whose co-worker tested positive. And so I got six more days that I've got to be inside. And so we, we, we still have these things that threaten and, and, and push uh, against uh, our comforts. And in these moments, I think that what God has called us to is a divine pause and a selah, a moment of sitting still and knowing that he is God. When I said a minute ago that I had my thinking challenged on this, I think about being still and knowing that he is God as something that's totally different now than the way going into it. Whereas you might think of, let me have my quiet time. Let me have a time of devotion. Let me sit silently for a moment and, and, and really just, you know, have this thing that I can check off and say like, oh yeah, in the stillness of a quiet moment with a great cup of tea, that's where I met God. He said, no, he, when he said, be still, what he actually said is in the midst of it all, 
I want you to cease striving. Stop trying to work against it. Realize that I am God and I am at work and my name will be exalted in all the earth and in all the nations. That means I will be honored even through this. If you read the rest of the song, it's so interesting that he says, come behold the works of the Lord and how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. The sons of Korah gave responsibility to God to even for the things that were breaking down in their world and in, in, in nature as well as in the nations around them. That's something that we must wrestle with too when we think about who God is and we think about him as the divine one who is in control of all things and he rules all things. It's not just that God is there to save us through it. There are times where he actually sends us into it. Am I saying that God is responsible for evil? No, I am not. But I am also saying that he's not hands off and it's not a plan B. There's not a, a circumstance where he ceases to be sovereign. He's sovereign over everything. And even in and through it, he uses these things to glorify his great name. How has the coronavirus, how has the civil unrest, how has the time in which we find ourselves again seemingly repeating history cause you to maybe pause and say, what is God doing? What is God showing me through this time? And how is he dealing with evil on the earth? And even reminding us that this is not our home. Do you think that way? Well, if we take refuge in him, we will. The second thing he said in verse number one was that he's our strength. He says he's our refuge and he's also our strength. He doesn't call us to uh, be strong in and of ourselves. When, when, the, when, when, the, when the psalmist is telling us to be still or when God himself is speaking and saying, be still and know that I'm God, he's not telling you to get strong, to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, to exercise your faith muscle somehow and just muster yourself into a place where you can persevere and you can endure and you can, you can deal with the things that are coming to you. No, he's actually telling you to realize that God is strong, to lean harder on him to give up and to stop warring on your own. That's what it means to be still. He's not telling you, I want you to, to fight against this and I want you to go and try and push these things forward and make this happen. He's saying, I want you to depend wholly on me and I want you to depend on me more and more and more and more. Be still and know that I'm God. These are the words that we get from the God who created everything, who sustains everything, holds it all together and at one time is going to reset, recreate all of creation. That God is also called a very present help in time of trouble. A very present help, meaning he's a help, yes, but he's also a help when you need him. He's a help right now. You can reach out and you can, uh, you, can you can access this help. It's not so far off. It's something that you don't have to aim for and, and, and hope for and, and wish on a, uh, on a star as if to say, you know, I, I hope that God will be there for me in this time. No, it says that he is a very present help in time of trouble. So you can be still and you can know that he is God. Even in the midst of division in the nation, he says he's going to be exalted among the, uh, among the nations. 
He says that his name is going to be exalted in all the earth. That word exalted really just means that he's going to be honored. So he said, I'm going to be honored across the whole world to the ends of the earth. Every tribe, tongue, and nation will know me. Be still and know that I'm a God. There's something about our witness and our testimony that even hinges on our ability to say, God helps me in time of trouble. I have peace that surpasses understanding. I don't even get it. But this is the true testimony of the person who is a part of God's kingdom and who dwells in, in him. Verse 4 said, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy mountain of the, the Most High. It's so funny. I'm telling you, we're going to focus on one verse, but the truth is, is that we're just focusing on a whole ser- the whole song, but I want us to center it around on knowing who God is. But in verse number 4, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. You know what the city of God is? That's the people of God. That's Zion, right? That That, that is the, 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 the people of God throughout all generation. And at this time, they knew that as Jerusalem proper. And so they, what they're looking at is they're seeing... This is a point to the fact that God sustains us and gives us all the refreshment that we need, even if people come against us. He had just said, though the mountains be moving to the heart of the sea. He had just said, though the waters roar and foam. But then uh, below that, he starts to talk about wars and he talks about uh, desolations and he talks about kingdoms and and the nations raging. And so what he's saying now is uh, this picture that we should understand in ancient times, especially when a city was built, there needed to be a water source that came into the city. And that water source wasn't just so that they could have something to drink and to wash with, but it was was so that they had a consistent uh, uh, supply of water that came in. Well, here's why that's important. In this day, Jerusalem did not have a river that was exposed to the eye. Jerusalem did not have a river that everybody could see that there was a water that was there. And so when their enemies came upon them, they thought for sure we can just, we can, we can take them over. They'll be weak and they'll be famished. They won't be able to get in and out to get the supply that they need. And so we'll be able to take them over. But time and time and time again, God's presence was always with them. God was with them. There was a river whose streams make glad the city of God, right? There, 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 there's a holy habitation of the most high. And it even says that he's in the midst of her, speaking of the river. There, this is about the presence of God, the indwelling of, of, of God with his people. I mean, it also goes to talk about the fact that, that there, was a, there was a secret river they had that was about 1800, <laughs> 1,800 feet long and it was underground and you could not see it. But the reality was is that God was taking care of them, even in the midst of of them being encroached by enemies and by a war. And so when we're told to be still and know that he's God, and then he likens the city to that which has a consistent supply and a consistent presence of who he is, we should understand some things that they emphasize twice in this psalm. Verse 7 and verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It's kind of a a refrain. It's it's kind of a chorus, if you would. They say it over and over again. The Lord of hosts. That's talking about the Lord who is the one who is over all the armies of heaven, the one who controls it all, the one who is uh, like a, a military leader who controls all the forces that go for us. They're saying he, he is with us. 
The Lord of hosts, the one who controls all the armies, he's with us. He fights our battles. He goes before us and he's the one who fights for us. I don't have to become strong. I don't have to try to take refuge in myself. I don't have to try and uh, do my own thing, you know, and, and help myself. But he's a present help. And the kind of help that he gives is help that protects me and goes before me and fights for me and even puts to nothing. It says that the earth melted away even at his voice. This is the God that we believe in. And so if you find yourself in these days where we're struggling to, as a nation and as a world, struggling to find out how can we guard ourselves from this? How can we quarantine ourselves? How can we isolate ourselves? And how can we remain healthy? And how can we preserve life here? What we should realize is that God is calling us to an abundant life that doesn't mean that life doesn't end here. It actually leads us to eternal life, which is better than anything that we can have here. This is where it starts to hit home because for a lot of us, the reason why we seek refuge and the reason why we try to be strong on our own and the reason why we try and uh, do what? Help ourselves is because this is heaven on earth. It's, It's like paradise. This is the place where we find all of our comfort and all kinds of idols and things that serve us. And we have all kinds of stratospheres that we want to climb. We have all kinds of places we want to go. We want to travel this. We want to see that. We want to be with him or go with her. And we want to do we want to do everything on this earth as if this is the place that gives us the final hope. We even try and preserve and hold on to these lives that we have, which we know are fragile, that James calls a, a vapor that vanishes quickly, that Jesus said, you don't don't try to preserve your life here. Anybody who guards his life will lose his life. It's the person who loses their life for my sake. The one who lays down everything that he has, his privileges, his platforms, his possessions. If that person puts everything at my feet, he will gain it all. Including not just eternal life, but 30, 60, 100 fold here. It's about yielding everything you have to him, giving him your resources so that he can Be the ruler of your life. I haven't looked at my notes much. I think I got ahead of myself. The the first part really could give us that um, we should realize and take refuge in who God is. And this last part that we can even see is just that he's the one who rules uh, the whole world. The sons of Korah made a declaration in verse 2 that I haven't read yet. I want to make sure we don't miss it. They said, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives away, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, and though the waters roar and foam, etc., etc., even though there's natural disasters and there are nations that are up in tumult. We don't care if, again, we said it last week, if it's pestilence or it's prejudice, if it's violence or a virus, we're not going to fear. And the reason why we're not going to fear is because we know who God is. So we can sit still. We can be in awe of him. Like those disciples who saw Jesus say, be still to the waters. And it was like a glassy sea, calm. We can be those people and we can have peace in the midst of trials, trials that come to us personally. When we think about uh, financial trials, when we think about health trials, when we think about things that happen relationally, when we think about the things that happen in our community, when we think about things that uh, maybe come on to, uh, based on our own personal sin or sins that have, been, that have happened to us, all those things, this world has been affected by sin, we can still have peace and we can still have joy. And like we said last week, we can still even have happiness a blessing from God because we know who he is and we trust in him. 
That's why these psalms are written, so that we would learn to sing, that we would learn to shout, we would learn to rejoice, and we would learn to trust. This song is meant to increase our faith and to silence our fears. When you hear about great calamity coming on the natural earth, and when you hear about the enemies, the nations raging and kingdoms tottering, when you hear about these things, you have to see somebody who's saying that I just can't get a break. I'm, I'm, I'm caught between a rock and a hard place. Natural disasters come against me and so do the nations. But you know what? The Lord of hosts, he is with us. I think it'd be a good time to focus and, and to help maybe some of you who may not be able to relate to this psalm and maybe even understand some of the things. So far, you see someone who's getting really excited about this, but for the most part, you're still disconnected from it, trying to figure out why that's such a big deal. Well, it, it kind of comes out in this. When he says the Lord of hosts, there's two things that he says about God that he repeats twice. The Lord of hosts is with us and the God of Jacob is our fortress. I think that's so interesting because what he actually says is Yahweh is Emmanuel. Now, if you think about it, it's Isaiah chapter 7. In verse 14, you may have never heard this before, but let me tell you what it says. Isaiah chapter 7, it says, There will come forth a virgin, and she will bear a son, and his name will be Emmanuel. In Matthew chapter 1, when Joseph was told that his wife, or his soon-to-be wife, who he did not know physically and intimately, not yet, but she was still a virgin, this, this girl Mary, when an uh, angel came to him and said, She is pregnant and she's going to bear a child. His question was, how in the world is that? Because we have not been together. We have not been married. We're not married yet. And, and what came to him from that angel is this is happening to confirm what was said 700 years before that a virgin should come forth and bear a son and we should name or his name will be Emmanuel. Jesus Christ, friends, is God with us. Here, thousand years before or so, when you find that they're saying uh, that Yahweh, Sabaoth, the Lord of armies, he is also Emmanuel, that they're actually pre uh, uh, kind of prophesying about the fact that God is not just uh, out there, but he's here with us, right? We, he goes before us and we walk behind him and we walk beside him. God is with us is what's said. And we know that that actually happened, that there came a time where God left his throne, was born in a manger to Joseph and Mary, and Jesus Christ walked the earth and was recognized, had been prophesied about, but he was even recognized as Emmanuel, God with us. That's why we sing about Emmanuel at Christmas time. Even more good news, though, is he, he comes and he says the God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, if you know anything about Jacob, you're asking yourself, why is it not the God of Israel? I mean, Jacob got his name changed. You know, he had he had some problems. I mean, the word Jacob actually means deceiver. Like, uh, you know, God, God's <laughs> God's not really uh uh, making me too excited about him calling himself the God of Jacob. I mean, he could have even been the, the God of Abraham, right? We know Abraham, and he's the great man of faith. I mean, why is he calling himself the God of Jacob? Well, if you think about it, friends, the God of Jacob is the God that you and I need because Jacob really was a schemer. Jacob really was a great sinner. 
Jacob really was a great deceiver. He even wrestled with God, I mean, until he prevailed and, and God changed his name and, and put his hip out of sight. I mean, there, there's a lot that goes into Jacob's uh, life before God changes it. But what this re reminds us of is that God is a gracious God who can and he will save anybody. And in saving us, you know what he will do? He'll also transform us. And in transforming us, he will also lead us because he loves us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We have a refuge and we have a fortress. We have protection from someone who even protects us against our own devices. You and I need to come to terms with the fact that we're sinners, that we are, we've fallen short of God's glory and that we don't trust him that way, that we're not still and that we don't know that he is God, that we think that we are or that we, 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 we look at things and we get fearful of them. We, we, we downplay God's ability to meet us in the midst of the storm. And so we're, we're you know, we were screaming at Jesus like, Jesus, are you not woke yet? <laughs> like, under, why aren't you waking up? Like, what, what's going on? Why are you allowing this to happen? Right? I thought you were a just God. And then we turn around and we see that God of Jacob is our fortress. You don't have to be up in arms and trying to figure this out on your, your own. And you definitely don't need to be charging him with anything other than a sovereign grace and a relentless love that says he can and will save anybody. And not just save us like later on, but even in this life, we find refuge. He gives us peace in the midst of the storm if we trust him. Be still and know that I am God is not where he stops. He says, I will be ex exalted. I will be honored all over the world. As I looked at this, I thought through maybe giving us something that would be helpful to say, well, I, I want that. And how, and how can I do that? Well, number one, if you don't know him in, uh, in, in the pardon of sin and, and you don't feel when you wake up every morning that your sins are forgiven and you can come to him and find that place of refuge, then, 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 then take to heart that Jesus Christ came to the earth as Emmanuel and he took on all of our sin when he went to the cross and he died in our place and God raised him from the dead because he's redeeming and restoring all of his children back to the right place. And he and, and if you just believe in him, if you just call on him and ask him to save you a sinner and to forgive your sins, he will do it. Take that to heart if that's where you are. But but Christian, can I talk to you now? For us, how can we increase our faith and silence our fears? And how can we take a psalm like this and want to sing it like loudly in high note in a soprano voice and, 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 and do that in the middle of knowing that all of the world crashes around us? There's all kinds of unrest. How do we find rest in these times? Well, I thought it would be interesting and I hope it's somewhat interesting to you, but to give us a little application with a, a, an acronym. The acronym is PAUSE. PAUSE. Pray asking for understanding. Slow down and expect God to move. Pray, ask, understanding or understand, slow and expect God. The first one's pray. I don't think you need a whole bunch on this. We just need to take time to actually go to God. We need to not uh, keep trying to lean on our own understanding, which we've been told not to do either, uh, anyway. Proverbs chapter three, don't lean on your own understanding, right? In all of your ways, you need to acknowledge God. He, he's the one who will direct your paths. He'll make your paths straight if you go to him. And so I, I think 
Um, it's just a reminder that in everything we should be a praying people, especially when the whole world seems to be shut down, especially when there's so many things that are uncertain, especially when we feel like there is uh, an enemy that's crouching, you know, so uh, or encroaching on us or, you know, whether it be the, the sin, uh, the, the, the world, my own sin, the world, the devil, whatever it is, we just feel like that's happening. I think that the, the right thing to do is pray. The right thing to do is pray. And I'm not talking about token prayers before you go, you know, have your meals. I'm not talking about like waking up and just quickly kind of giving a mental ascent. I'm talking about spending time in focused prayer with God and asking him to help. That's the second one. Ask, right? When you pray, what should you be doing? You should be giving petition. You should be making supplication. You should be asking, right? We give glory to God in prayer, but we also uh, ask him. And that's where it says that we'll have the peace. Philippians tells us that if we pray and ask to him and we cast our burdens on him, then what will happen is we'll have peace that doesn't make sense. Because we know that even though we don't know what tomorrow holds, we know who holds tomorrow. And so we can ask him to work for us and to go before us. We can be still and know that he is God because we ask him to work. We don't only ask him to work for us, but we ask for understanding. For this one, I had a quote that I wanted to share with us. It's from Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, you guys know I, I, I appreciate Spurgeon and what he says here is uh, regarding uh, being unafraid. He says, you should be saved by the little knowledge which trust, which trust God. You will be saved by just knowing a little bit about God is basically what he's saying. Yes. All you have to do is just like I said, just believe in the cross, believe in the resurrection and you will be saved. He said that is true, but your peace will be far fuller and deeper if you know the deep things of God. For then you shall not be afraid of evil since your heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. If you are as yet a timid believer, seek to grow in the knowledge of God, for thus shall you learn to say, therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives away. He said, half our fears are the result of ignorance. If we knew more of God, we would be bold as lions. And that's an interesting thing. Proverbs 28 and also Revelation tells us that the righteous are as bold as a lion, but the wicked flee when nobody pursues. I, I, I don't want to be crass here and, 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 and insensitive, but the reality is, is that most of the things that we're fearing, may, they haven't even come against us. We had a conversation, or at least Carlos did, he's sharing with me about uh, folks in our church who may be among the most, um, the, the most vulnerable, who are just, just communicating, I've got faith and I know where I'm going, and so I'm not afraid. I think that's an attitude that we can exercise prudence and we can be wise, but the reality is, is that God is just calling us to deepen our faith because we deepen our trust and our understanding of who he is, or he's calling us to deepen our trust in who he is, which will deepen our faith is what I should say. That's what Spurgeon finished out with when he said, therefore, I encourage all true believers to dwell much in the presence of God and to ask to be instructed in the nature, the character, 
and the attributes of God. So we don't just pray and we don't just ask, but we pray and ask for understanding. That's our first three. Here's the second one or the fourth one. We already know. Slow down, right? Be still. He said literally be still and know that I'm God. That's a command that went forth from God. He's telling us to cease striving, to stop worrying, to stop being anxious. Stop worrying is a better way to say that on behalf of the God who speaks in the midst of this song. He just says, stop worrying, stop tripping, like stop being afraid. I I want you to be still, be still, be still, be still, be still, slow down, like pause, take a moment, literally sit in some silence, turn off the radio, turn off Facebook, turn off the television, turn off all the propaganda, turn off the text messages. Don't always sit in front of things that just come in at you and you can't even receive it at all times. I want you to stop worrying and the best way for you to do that is to sit in silence sometimes. God has actually put us in a pattern of that. I mean, we were going so fast as a culture. I'm talking about you can't catch up and we, we don't know our, what's going on with our kids and our family anymore or our friends. We're not checking in with nobody. We don't know what's going on in life no more because we just, we got a task list and we got hours and we got, we got a show that we got to keep and everything else and we're just going, 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 going. And then all of a sudden everything shuts down. What should be the attitude of the person who wants their faith to grow and their, and their, their fears to, 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 to decrease? We've learned, or we should learn in this time, that I can just be still. I, 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 need, I need to slow down. I need to actually take some time. I need to think more. I need, I need my, 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 uh, the, the voices that are always going in my head, I need them to be clear so I can't keep putting more in there. I think that that's, that's, that's something practical for you, us to think of. I think every single day you should take time. How much time? I don't know, 15 minutes of your day is 1%. So. Uh, how much can you give to God, right? So how, how much of your, your day do you want to give to the Lord? Take that amount of time and sit before him. Open his word. Let him speak to you. Turn off everything else. They, I mean, the, the, the people on the news, right? Uh, the people on your, your feed, your, your social media, your whoever, they all got something to say. Let's get back to them. Before that, before that though, let's get back to God. Let's hear from him. Let's have him speak to us in the stillness, right? And in the silence of our hearts, because we take in more from him than we take from the outside. And I guarantee you that at that point, we'll even be able to do this last thing, which is expect great things from God. So we've said, pray, we've said, ask, we've said, understand, like grow in understanding. We said, slow down. Now we're saying, expect great things from God. That just comes from be still and know that I am God, right? The reality is, is when he's telling us to be still and be quiet, he's not telling us to just sit in solitude somewhere in the corner and figure it out on our own. He said, I want you to be still and I want you to know that I'm still in control and I want you to know that I'm sovereign and I want you to know that I haven't forgotten you and I'm not leaving you to yourself and I want you to know that I fight for you, that I am the Lord of hosts and I want you to know that I'm with you, that I'm Emmanuel and I want you to know that I'm the God of Jacob. So even when you mess up, I'm still with you and I'm still for you. Like that's the God that we need to know who he is in the time times that we're struggling in our times of trouble. He's a very present help, right? He's strong. He's our refuge. I mean, do I need to keep going? This is what's being said. While the mountains are getting thrown into the sea and while the water is foaming, I mean, I don't surf, but I know that's not a good time to do it, right? I mean, like you think about it, he's saying in the midst of all that, no, I'm God. I'm in control of all this. You don't have to worry. 
You don't have to fear. God will make sure that his glory is known across the world. And that is the ambition of every true follower of Christ. The reason why we keep going, the reason why we do well on our tests in school and we perform well on our jobs and we love our wives, we love our husbands, we raise our kids and we love our neighbor and we share our goods and we give our tithes. I mean, the reason why we do all that is because we want to see more people come to know God. We want to see his name exalted in all the earth. And he's telling us, hey, well then be still, know that I'm God because my name will be exalted in all the earth. It will be exalted. It will be honored among all the nations. His glory is known. His word reminds us that he is who he says he is. And he calls us to worship him in awe, like those disciples in the boat who had just been with the rabbi. He's a good teacher. But now all of a sudden the winds and the waves obey him. What kind of man is this? (laughs) You understand that? He says, remember who he is. Be still and stop fearing means be still and see that, you know, see what God is doing. Why don't you, you ask this question, you know, God, what are you up to? I can't wait. I know you must be doing something, right? Expect him to move. Expect him to do great things. Expect him to not just be sitting by idly and, 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 and you wish that something different was happening because this has been too long or we, we don't have this or, I mean, all those, we, we should not be worried about it. Expect God to do the unthinkable for his namesake because he's a faithful God. That Friends, we will learn to do as we pause. Pray, ask, asking to grow in our understanding. Slow down and expect great things from him. As we acknowledge his greatness, we can know that God's with us. I want to conclude just by telling you a little bit of a story. It's a, it's a true story. Um, Martin Luther, most of you know who he is in the 1500s. He wrote a hymn. And the hymn is titled, uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And he wrote that between the years of 1527 and 1528. That season was some of the darkest time in Martin Luther's life. So that I don't miss it, let me just read it to you. In August 1527, there was a man who followed Luther's teaching that got martyred, killed for his faith. In the fall of 1527, a plague broke out in Wittenberg where he was. And in that fall, everybody fled except for Martin Luther. He and his wife turned their home into a hospital and brought the sick in to be with them at the risk of themselves becoming sick. His son even became sick and almost died. Luther himself was ill and a couple times fainted for lack of strength. He was depressed during that time. In December 1527, Luther wrote to a colleague, hey, we're all in good health except for Luther himself, who is physically well, but outwardly the whole world and inwardly the devil and all his angels are making him suffer, writing about himself to a friend. A few days later in January 1528, Luther wrote that he was undergoing a period of temptation that was the worst he had ever experienced in his life. He said that it was causing anxiety and doubt and fear and terror in his life. Well, Back in December 1527, Luther's daughter named Elizabeth was born, but she was born sickly. It would be in May 1528 that she died at six months old. Talk about compound grief. Talk about the things that are happening inside and outside the home, inside the man and outside 
the man. This period of wrestling with the Lord in prayer to save the lost, right? He, he's wrestling in prayer with uh, the Lord to free those who are enslaved to false teaching. I mean, we haven't even talked about the fact that this is only about nine years advanced from when there was the Protestant Reformation and people are still, I mean, literally, somebody is killed for their faith and it's a religious attack. It's not like something where we just have these atheists who are coming out against them. We're talking about, at that time, a big war and division between people who all profess to be walking with God and blood is even shed and so he's he's going through all kinds of things he's asking for people to be free from false teaching he's asking God to heal the sick he's asking God to revive his sick daughter and so on he, he called it a fierce time of suffering he said he was mentally and spiritually fatigued yet he took comfort in Psalm 46 and he trusted in Jesus Christ Emmanuel God with us Fast forward to 1957, there was an Alabama Christian movement for human rights. And there was a man there whose name was Fred Shuttleworth and him and another man who was renamed after the 1500s great reformer, Martin Luther King Jr. were there to preach a sermon. And they were there to speak after about 21 bombings and a lot of killings and things are happening in the height of the civil rights movement again, movement, again 1957. They, they spoke and, and closed out a meeting in a sermon titled Faith for Difficult and Critical Times. And they ended it with these words. I want you to see this. They said the story went on that segregation was not just from the white man, it was from evil. It's an evil enemy that we faced. And they go on and credit it to the enemy of our souls, the devil. And... One of the things that said is that it has caused men to live together all their lives, to fear and to be suspicious of each other all their lives, even though they've known each other. It makes color of skin the criteria for supremacy. It says it made white skin become more important than a white and a pure heart. The love of segregation has taken precedence over the love of the Savior. And thus it has become relatively easy for some white men to sing Amazing Grace on Sunday morning in the choirs and then march on Sunday night in robes to burn crosses. In the midst of all this, this is the, the time that they found themselves in and they're there and they're, they're, they're walking through this and looking at uh, the book of Acts and preaching about when Paul was in a ship and everybody was concerned about the seas and everything. He said, y'all be still and don't worry about it. I wanted to read to you how they closed out that evening. They closed out saying, we know not what the future holds. It matters little who might be elected or who might come against us and who goes out before us. We will follow him who was born to the capital L leader and the savior of men. Be not dismayed whatever comes against us. Be still and know that he is God. God will take care of you. And they sang, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. May that be our testimony no matter what we face, no matter what the days hold ahead, that because we know who God is, we can be still, we can hear from him, we can trust him, and we can have our faith to just grow and our fears to subside. Amen? Father, that's the prayer of our heart. That's the prayer of 
our minds. We really want that. We don't want it to miss our minds and our heart just by 18 inches, the, the short distance. We don't want uh, to have a whole bunch of mental ascent to you. We want to really have that to take over our lives to the point where we would still stand in the face of opposition like we know that Martin Luther did, like we know that Martin Luther King did. Um, God, we pray and we ask you that you would give us that kind of faith that, that really casts out fear. I mean, there's so much more that could be said. So many other scriptures. Um, Lord, just help us. Help us in this time to believe you really are who you say you are. A refuge. Our strength. Not my strength, our strength. The whole people of God. You're, you're our refuge or our strength. And you are very present help for all of us in our time of need, in our time of trouble. God, help our hearts to believe that, that we will follow you by faith and even be able to say with these of our four mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters who've gone before us, that you are a mighty fortress. You never fail. Amen.